Good evening. Jeff is right, it is evening, certainly, but it's a good one, isn't it? Because we have the opportunity to be together. It's times like these where we're able to think about scriptures like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We quote that a lot, but sometimes we don't quote the surrounding context, the reason that we don't forsake the assembly. In verse 24, it's to stir one another up to love and good works. In verse 25, it's so that we can encourage one another as we see the day, talking about the coming of Christ, drawing near. With every passing second, the coming of Jesus is getting closer and closer. Even though we don't know when it's going to be, it's drawing nearer and nearer. And what an awesome opportunity it is to encourage one another in settings like this one. I appreciate you. I hope that this is going to encourage us as we go out and live this week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus, the 17th chapter. Once again, appreciate John reading through that section for us in verses 8 through 16. It's always tricky giving out readings from the Old Testament because you find some odd words in there sometimes. But Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16. I thought we'd take just a little bit of a break from our study of the Gospel of Mark this evening. Not that you ever need a break from Jesus, but just to step away for a second to look at a new passage of scripture in Exodus the 17th chapter verses 8 through 16. I'm sure that we're all familiar with what took place on December 7th 1941 aren't we? The president at the time President Roosevelt called it a date which will live in infamy. On December 7th of 1941 just before 8 a.m. several hundred Japanese fighter jets descended upon Pearl Harbor, a naval base just outside of Honolulu, Hawaii, and caused a lot of destruction. Of course, a lot of boats and a lot of American ships were completely destroyed, but that's nothing compared to the loss of life. On this day, 2,400 people were killed and another 1,000 people were injured. Whenever you read reports about the attack on Pearl Harbor, it seems that it was so bad because it was unexpected. It was a surprise. The Americans didn't expect the Japanese to attack at that time or to attack in that way. It was a complete surprise. And because it was a surprise, because America was unprepared, they had to endure such terrible consequences. You look at Exodus, the 17th chapter in verse number 8. This verse sets up what we're going to see all the way down to verse number 16 where the Bible records that Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. When you look at the context of this, just to talk about where we are in the narrative in the story of the Old Testament, it's been just a few months since the Israelites' exodus from the land of Egypt. They've been following the command of Moses. At this point, they've passed through the Red Sea on dry land. They're eating the quail that God supplies for them at night, the manna that He supplies for them in the morning. God has supplied water for them in a couple of different ways, which that's kind of odd. When you look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, the children of Israel are divided. They are discouraged. They're complaining not only against God, but also against Moses because they didn't have any water. They were complaining, saying, you brought us out of the land of Egypt, brought us here to die of thirst. It'd be better if we just stayed in the land of Egypt. Whenever you come to the end of Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7, you find a children of Israel that is divided 
They are discouraged. They're complaining. They're murmuring against their leader and against their God. And it's in that circumstance where in verse number 8 that Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. About 40 years later, a little bit more than 40 years later, Moses comments on this attack. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Here we learn a little bit about this attack in Exodus chapter 17, don't we? Amalek attacked them. We said, looking at the first seven verses of Exodus chapter 17, Amalek attacked them when they were faint and when they were weary. Attacked the back of their caravan, their tail, which would have been made up of more than likely mostly women and children. This, surprise, this attack was a complete surprise. Amalek attacked them in an unexpected way at an unexpected time. As Christians, we all recognize that we have an enemy, don't we? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9, Peter says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Something that we need to understand about that verse is that Satan is not just seeking people to devour, but he attacks them with that motive in mind. Satan attacks God's people in order to destroy God's people. And sometimes we might think that when Satan attacks, it's going to be obvious. When Satan attacks, we're going to be able to see it. We're going to be able to know that it's coming from miles away. And when we know it's coming, we're going to be able to stand up against it. Well, maybe sometimes we forget verses like 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The attack on Pearl Harbor was a surprise attack. The attack on the Israelites in Exodus chapter 17 was a surprise attack. And in a similar way, oftentimes our enemy, Satan, attacks us in a surprise. Satan wants to catch us off guard. He wants to attack us at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. We know that because 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 says we're not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of how Satan works. Satan wants to attack us not when we're on guard, but when we're off guard. At unexpected times and in unexpected ways. And so the question is, what should we do? What should we do whenever that happens? Whenever Satan's surprise attacks us. Whenever our enemy attacks at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. How should we respond? Well, as we look at Exodus 17 verses 8 through 16. We're backing up there. Let's notice how the Israelites responded to their surprise attack. And let's see what we can learn from it. I want to suggest three ideas to you tonight. Number one, whenever our enemy surprise attacks us, we must help each other. We must come to one another's aid. We said just a few minutes ago from Deuteronomy, the 25th chapter, if we re revisit that for just a moment, that Amalek, whenever he attacked the Israelite caravan, he attacked their tail, the ESV says, the back of the caravan. He cut off and attacked those who were lagging behind, which we said more than likely consisted of women and children. Notice what Moses doesn't do in Exodus 17 when this happens. Moses doesn't say, well, thank goodness I'm at the front. 
Because if I was at the back, then I would have been the one attacked. But I was at the front, and so we can just keep pushing forward. We're not going to miss those people anyway. Moses didn't say, well, it's their fault for lagging behind. They shouldn't have been lagging behind. They should have been up here with us in the front. And if they were up here with us in the front, then they would not have been attacked in this way. We'll just leave them behind and let them suffer the consequences. We'll cut our loss there. That's not what Moses did, was it? When you look at Exodus, the 17th chapter, in verse number 9, after Amalek came and fought with Israel, Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. He says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. At the end of verse 7, we said Israel is divided. They are discouraged. They are complaining. They're murmuring against Moses and against God. That's not what you see whenever you come to verse number 9. They are united as one group. They are united as one family. And Moses recognized when you attack a part of the group, then you attack the entire group. When you attack a part of the body, a, a part of the caravan, then you attack the entire thing. Moses doesn't leave behind those who were lagging behind. He doesn't leave behind more than likely the women and children who were attacked. Instead, he helps them. He stands alongside of them. He tells Joshua, get your army ready to go because we're going to fight against the enemy. I think we need to have the same attitude. Whenever our enemy surprise attacks us, we must help each other. Perhaps you've heard the mantra, no man left behind. That's not only a mantra that should exist within the army, but it's a, a mantra that should exist within the body of Christ. No Christian left behind. No follower of Jesus left behind. Whenever we see people, Christians, brothers and sisters, who might be lagging behind, maybe they're in the back of the caravan and we see them being attacked by the enemy, we see them being attacked by Satan, we shouldn't leave them there. We shouldn't think that they deserve it. They should have been up front. They shouldn't have been lagging behind. No, if our lives are right as followers of Jesus, then we have the responsibility to not leave them behind. We have the responsibility to go back and to help them, to help them fight against the enemy. We should do that for those who are lagging behind. And, and I hope that my brothers and sisters would do that for me whenever I'm the one that's lagging behind. Romans, the 15th chapter and verse number one says, we who are strong have an obligation. Notice that this isn't an option. This isn't something that, hey, as a Christian community, as a Christian family, you can do this or you cannot do this. Paul says, no, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Whenever Satan attacks in a surprising way, at an unexpected time or an unexpected way, we have the responsibility to stand alongside of one another, to come to one another's aid, to help each other. Number two, whenever Satan's surprise attacks us, in the same vein, we must realize that we cannot overcome alone. What if just one person from the Israelites would have went and stood against Amalek and his army? Do you think that would have turned out well for them? If Moses, Aaron, Hur, or Joshua, one of the soldiers in the army, what if just one individual would have stood before the army? Do you think they would have walked away victorious? I don't think so. They recognized that they could not do this alone. When you look at Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they go up on top of the mountain. We'll talk, mention more about this in just a second. When Moses raised up the staff, what happened? God worked on behalf of His people and Israel pushed back against Amalek when He lowered the staff of God in His hand, then Amalek 
prevailed against the Israelites and God withdrew His help and His power. As Moses was holding up the staff, notice that he didn't even do that alone, did he? When Moses got tired, Aaron and Hur took a rock that he could sit on so that he could rest. When his arms got tired from holding up the staff, it wasn't him to push through being tired. Quite literally, Aaron and Hur held up his arms. One on one side, one on the other side, held up the arms of Moses so that the staff could remain in the air and the children of Israel could continue to conquer and defeat their enemy who had attacked them in a surprising way. You think about the two different groups. You can look at this from so many different ways. The two different groups. The army with Joshua down in the valley would not have been victorious unless Moses, Aaron, and Hur were on top of the mountain. If you only had Moses and Aaron and Hur on top of the mountain, but you didn't have the army down in the valley, they wouldn't have been victorious either. It took both. The Israelites realized that they could not overcome this Alone, They come together as a family and we see the end result in verse number 13 that Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Have you ever heard the story of the Japanese Lieutenant Hiro Onoda? I think I've told this before at some point, but it's been a little bit ago. Hiro Onoda was a lieutenant in the Japanese army during World War II. Shortly before Japan surrendered, Hiro and three other soldiers were placed on a Philippine island and they were given an order. Continue to fight against the Philippines. Even if we surrender, even if you hear that the war is over, you keep going. Just a few months later, after they were put on the Philippine island, Japan surrendered. The war was over, but they continued fighting. Fast forward another few months, the three soldiers who were with Hiro Onoda surrendered, quit, went back home. Over the next 29 years, this man waged World War II all on his own. The next 29 years, he killed about 30 Philippine nationals and refused to quit. It wasn't until the Philippine island brought over one of his commanders to the island that he was actually willing to stop. When he heard from the mouth of one of his former commanders that he could stop, that's when he finally gave up and went back home. For 29 years... He waged a war completely on his own. We look at that and we think that's crazy. How did he think that he could win by himself? It's all of these people against him when the war's not even going on. How did he think that he could be victorious? But then we do the same exact thing, don't we? When we think about the church, when we think about the collective body of Christ, we go through trials, we go through difficulties, we go through hardships in life, we lower our shoulder, we push as hard as we can, and we try to get through it completely on our own. We keep our burdens a secret. The things that we're struggling with, nobody else knows about. And we try, even though our arms get weak, we try to hold them up as long as we can. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 2 that we should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We can't fulfill the law of Christ unless we bear one another's burdens. We can't bear one another's burdens unless we're willing to share our burdens. Unless we're willing to make those burdens known within our Christian community. You know as well as I do, sometimes our arms get tired, don't they? We need people to hold them up. Sometimes we're in the same position as Moses as he was trying to hold up the staff. Our arms get tired and we need one another to hold up our arms. Sometimes I'll be up on the mountain and you'll be down in the valley fighting. Sometimes you'll be down, I'll be down in the valley and you'll be up on the mountain the idea that we see in this text is that we have to realize 
that we can't overcome our enemy alone. We can't overcome our enemy by ourselves. So these first two points I think we can draw out of Exodus chapter 17 and application speak to us as the collective body of Christ. We need to recognize our need for one another. When we're attacked by the enemy, we help each other. When we're attacked by the enemy, we recognize that we can't overcome alone. But then number three, ultimately, when Satan attacks us, especially in surprising ways and at surprising times, we must trust that God will grant us victory over the enemy. Sure, the Israelites relied on one another. They helped each other. They recognized that they couldn't be victorious in this battle with just one man or a part of the group. But ultimately, they placed their faith in God. Why did Moses stand up on top of the mountain with the staff of God held up in the air? Just a tradition? Thought it might work? Now Moses knew and he trusted the fact that God would work in those circumstances. And that's exactly what God did. We read verse 13 that Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Who gets all the credit for that victory? Well, you look in verse number 14 towards the end of the verse. God speaks to Moses. What does he promise? He says, I will blot, utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses builds an altar in verse number 15. What does he name that altar? The Lord is my banner. You look in verse number 16. What does the Lord say about having war with Amalek? Not only in this circumstance, but also as they go into the future. He says the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Did Israel have to do their part? Of course Israel had to do their part. The army had to be down with Joshua in the valley. Moses, Aaron, and Hur had to be on top of the mountain. They had to fight. They had to do their best. But ultimately, they placed their faith in a God who fought their battle. Ultimately, they trusted in God that He would grant them victory over the enemy. And He did grant them victory over the enemy. He's the one who gets all the praise, all the glory, and all the credit for that victory. I think we have to recognize the same thing. When Satan attacks us, we need to recognize the importance of one another. We need to recognize the importance of the Lord's body, the body of Christ, to help each other and to realize that we can't overcome alone. But ultimately, we have to place our faith in God that He will be the one to fight our battles. I love Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan's going to attack Where's the emphasis in Ephesians 6? It's not on me, and it's not on you, it's on God. Be strong in who? In the Lord. And be strong in the strength of His might. Put on God's armor, Paul says, which he talks about as you continue to read throughout that passage. He talks about the different elements and the different pieces of God's armor. He says, rely on God's strength, trust in His power, Put on his armor. And when Satan attacks, it's not going to matter if it's a surprise or not. When Satan attacks and we're relying on God's strength and we're wearing God's armor, we will be able to stand against his schemes. We will be able to stand against his attacks. But then you take that one step further. Isn't God already victorious over Satan? Hasn't God already claimed victory over our enemy through the cross of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus? Satan has been defeated. 
Go and read about that in Matthew 25, I believe around verse number 41, where Jesus in a parable says that, that the eternal fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. Read Revelation chapter 20 about how Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire and he's going to be tormented there forever and ever. Satan has already been defeated. God has already claimed victory over our enemy. All that we have to do is place our faith in Him. Place our trust in Him that He will fight our battles and ultimately grant us the victory. Satan attacks, but we're not ignorant of how he works. We're not ignorant of his designs. Paul reminds us in the book of 2 Corinthians. We can respond to those attacks in a way that's faithful. We can respond to those attacks in a way that honors God. We can respond to those attacks in the same way that Israel responded to their attack in Exodus, the 17th chapter. We have to help each other. We have to realize that we can't overcome alone. And we have to trust that God will ultimately grant us the victory that we're searching for. Whether it's in this life or whether it's in the life that's coming, God will fight our battles and grant us victory over the enemy. It's really about two things. If you want to boil it down from three to two, that's not really boiling it down much. But it's about being connected to Christian community. And it's about being connected to Jesus Christ Himself. Connect yourself to the body of Christ. And when you're connected to the body of Christ, by default, you're going to be connected to the one who is the head. Can we help you to do one or both of those things tonight? To be connected to Jesus, to be connected to His body. If we can do that, we would love to do that as together we stand and sing our invitation song.